0: Thanks everyone for joining us today. Um, so we can talk a little bit about lung cancer screening. We wanted to thank Less Cancer for inviting us to be part of the National Cancer Prevention Workshop. My name is Lauren Carbo. I'm a project manager at University of uh, Virginia Health Systems. And I work uh, very closely with Amy Strong who is a nurse practitioner who has spent the past five years of her career building out a lung cancer screening program at UVA, um, also has been working very closely with radiology and is a nurse practitioner in um, our thoracic surgery clinic also. Um, And so I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Amy and um, have her share with you a little bit about the current state of lung cancer screening in the United States um, and talk a little bit about why detection, early detection is so important.
1: Thanks, Lauren. I'm certainly excited to talk to everyone today about lung cancer and lung cancer screening. So to no surprise of anyone viewing this, we know that lung cancer is a deadly disease. It's the second most common cancer in men and women, but it's the leading cause of cancer related deaths, killing more people every year than breast, colon and prostate cancers combined. In fact, for this current year, 2022, we're anticipating a little over 236,000 new cases of lung cancer with a little over 130,000 deaths related to lung cancer. It makes up 25% of all cancer-related deaths. So, if you look to the right of that slide, you'll see that the majority of patients are diagnosed at a much later stage. And if they're found early, um, up to 59% of people with early stage lung cancer actually have a pretty good five-year survival rate. So we know that early detection is key.
0: So, um, Amy, we all know that there's uh, one of the most obvious risks of lung cancer um, is smoking. But we also know that there's some environmental risks. And I was wondering if you could discuss a little bit about all of the risks associated with lung cancer.
1: Sure. So we definitely know that smoking is the leading risk factor for lung cancer, and we can attribute smoking directly to about 80% of all lung cancer cases. But really, the biggest risk factor for getting lung cancer is having lungs. Um, so in addition to smoking, which people are pretty familiar with, we a lot of patients don't know that exposure to radon in the United States is the second leading cause of lung cancer in non-smokers. And many people haven't even heard of radon, but it's a, a naturally occurring byproduct from uranium breakdown that we have in the bedrock and soil in the United States. It's a tasteless, odorless gas. It um, can leach into people's basements, if they have cracks in their foundations, it gets circulated through the household. um, And uh, it's very easy to test for a lot of people when they sell their houses have to prove that they don't have radon in their basements. But you can actually buy kits at local hardware stores, or Home Depot, or Lowe's, and uh, you can send those off to get tested. And we recommend that you do that every few years. And if you do have high levels of radon detected in your house, there's certainly Abatement procedures you can go through um, to decrease your exposure. People who smoke and also have radon exposure do have a significantly higher rates of lung cancer. But other things that cause lung cancer um, is secondhand smoke exposure. So many of us grew up in households with our parents smoking, um, going out to restaurants and bars with a lot of secondhand smoke exposure. So across the country, different states have implemented legislation to um, ban smoking in um, public facilities, which has really helped decrease um, our exposure to secondhand smoke. But there's also other things in the environment that we get exposed to too, like asbestos. Um, We have a lot of coal miners um, in this part of the country that get exposed to all kinds of dust and silica, And also having strong family history of lung cancer and first degree relatives like your parents or your brothers or sisters also can increase your risk factor. So it's a lot more than just smoking. And sometimes we don't know why people get lung cancer. It's probably like a lot of other cancers where it's a combination of many risk factors over our lives.
0: So. I know um, a lot of people at this point in the presentation are thinking, how do I get screened for lung cancer? How do I send the people that I care about to get screened for lung cancer? What is that process like? So can you talk a little bit um, about that? And can you share with us some of the research over the past few years that has actually developed the parameters for lung cancer screening? Yes, we
1: definitely have had a lot of research, not only in the United States, but in the international community over the last 10 or 15 years, that's really proven that lung cancer screening is effective and works, and it should be just as common as mammography for breast cancer and colonoscopy for colon cancer. So the first big landmark trial that we had in the United States was the National Lung Screening Trial that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine a long time ago now, back in 2011, Um, And much more recently, the Dutch-Belgian trial, which we refer to as the Nelson trial by De Koning and colleagues, was published um, in 2020. And um, we can break down those a little bit further. So the National Lung Screening Trial was a really large randomized controlled trial. They had over 53,000 people um, randomized into two arms. One was low-dose CT scan of the chest every year for three years, and the other arm was just plain old chest x-ray because up until very recently that's all we had was plain chest x-ray and they looked at a really specific population of patients so ages 55 to 74 with at least a 30 pack year smoking history who were current smokers or former smokers that had quit in the last 15 years these patients had to be generally healthy with no overt signs of lung cancer and really no history of a cancer in the last five years and they had to be typically healthy enough to really undergo curative treatment if something was found.
0: And Amy, can you explain to people listening what a pack year is, what that means? Absolutely. So pack years
1: is just a simple calculation of how many packs of cigarettes you've smoked per day times the number of years that you smoked them. So if you smoked two packs a day for 10 years, that would be equivalent to a 20 pack year smoking history or a pack a day for 30 years. That's a 30 pack year smoking history. And obviously people smoke different amounts in different times of their life. So we kind of take an average Packs a day over the average number of years that they smoke to come up with that number. So the NLST um, actually had really dramatic results. The results were so good that they even ended the trial early. They found that in the arm that had an annual low-dose CT scan of the chest, there was a 20% reduction in lung cancer-related mortality compared to the chest X-ray group. So they followed people every year with a CT for three years, and they followed them out for six and a half years. And they proved that low-dose CT was very effective at finding lung cancers. Um, Not only did they have a reduction in their lung cancer mortality rates, they had a 6.7% all-cause mortality reduction because they were finding other things that were ultimately going to impact the patient's health, such as severe coronary artery disease or um, malignancy in another organ that they could see on the scan. Um, There was a definite stage shift in the low-dose CT arm. Up to 70% of cancers were detected at stage one and two versus stage three and four in the other arm. And the other data shows that low dose CT is actually very safe and effective. There was less than 1% intervention for benign disease. The radiation exposure early on, people were very worried that patients getting annual scans were gonna have high radiation doses, but it's actually much less radiation exposure than we get from the atmosphere. Just being on planet earth every six months. And the technique has been revised dramatically since this trial, and we're using much less than 1.5 millisieverts of radiation now. So it's very safe to do. And there was um, very little overdiagnosis. So overdiagnosis is finding a cancer that may not ultimately be the cause of that person's death. And it was about 18%, mostly because we were finding such early stage cancers that maybe wouldn't have been found and and contributing to that patient's overdiagnosis health. So the Nelson trial uh, was also a randomized controlled trial that looked at a little bit different population than the NLST trial in the United States. So this trial was predominantly men, about 13,000 men and about 2,500 women. And it was a much younger population. So this started at age 50 to 74. And it was current smokers or patients who'd quit in the last 10 years with only a 15 pack year history. And if you'll remember the NLST was looking at at least a 30 pack year history. So this was a younger population with less smoking history. And they actually split people into two arms, a screening arm with a baseline CT, and then at year one, three, and year five and a half, versus patients with no screening at all. And they followed all these patients out for 10 years. And what they found was a 24% mortality reduction from lung cancer in men and up to a 33% and even up to a 60% mortality reduction in women um, with a very low false positive rate. So very positive results showing that lung cancer screening is effective in a younger population with less smoking history. And then there are Certainly, lots of other trials that are out there um, that have been very instrumental in proving that lung cancer works, and actually has been instrumental in affecting our um, legislation around lung cancer screening and our insurance reimbursements in the United States about lung cancer screening. And just some of these are listed here.
0: So um, we all want to know: Does lung cancer? Um, does insurance cover lung cancer screening? We're all, uh, those of us in healthcare and that are following the changes with cancer screening are also hearing a lot about the anticipated changes um, that, uh, from CMS regarding eligibility for screening. So I was hoping maybe you could share with our audience a little bit about that. I would be happy
1: to. And this is where a lot of the difficulty around lung cancer screening started um, with really different insurance coverage based on what type of insurance you have Um, and it made it really hard for a lot of providers to sort out in the early stages of lung cancer screening. So the early stages of lung cancer screening in the United States um, date back to about 2014 or 2015. Um, The USPSTF released their original lung cancer screening guidelines um, around 2013 And CMS, which oversees our Medicare in the United States, decided they were gonna follow their own guidelines. So it was very challenging for providers to figure out which set of guidelines applied to their patient based on their insurance information. Um, And of course, these are always evolving and always changing. So the USPSTF recently in March of 2021 released some new guidelines, which dropped the age down to age 50 all the way up to age 80. They lowered their pack years from 30 to 20. Patients still have to be a current smoker or quit within the last 15 years, and they have to be asymptomatic for having lung cancer. So that was wonderful. That essentially took the patient population in the United States and doubled it for eligibility for lung cancer screening. So commercial insurance carriers and some state Medicaid's um, follow the USPSTF guidelines. Medicare has their own set of guidelines. So you can imagine that the majority of people eligible for lung cancer screening typically are a Medicare age population. So currently Medicare only allows or reimburses lung cancer screening for people ages 55 to 77 with a 30-packer smoking history that currently smoke or quit in the last 15 years and are asymptomatic. The good news is That we're anticipating that CMS, who oversees Medicare, will be releasing their new guidelines around the middle of February this year. Um, Based on the draft version, we're anticipating that they're going to drop the starting age from 55 to 50. We anticipate that they're going to drop the pack years down to 20 and stick with the currently smoking or quit in the last 15 years. So this is really good news because there are a lot of people who have Medicare that are younger than age 55 that have not been eligible for lung cancer screening. So under the current Affordable Care Act, lung cancer screening is a preventative health benefit, and it mandates that anything with a USPSTF rating of B or higher which lung cancer has, it mandates coverage at 100%. That should mean no copay for your patients and no out-of-pocket charge for your patients. Um, it can be a little tricky though, but I will tell you that in my own experience and having done this for several years now, Um, It's very rare to have an insurance issue these days for people who meet these guidelines. Um, It used to be very challenging and very hard to navigate for providers, but it actually has become very routine um, and we're getting close to being as routine as, as mammography.
0: So there's this thing called the shared decision-making visit, which I'm going to have you briefly touch on. And I will say that as we talk as in the next few slides, as we jump into the program that Amy has developed at UVA, this shared decision-making visit has been something that either a primary care um, provider can do themselves Or um, in in our universe, uh, we just have those doctors refer into the UVA health system or within the UVA health system right to Amy, and she will do the shared decision-making visit and handle all of that um, very specific documentation that's needed so that we can get patients right into their um, imaging appointment and get them into the screening program.
1: Yeah, so the shared decision-making visit or the shared decision-making component of lung cancer screening is not a novel concept for providers. I mean, as primary care providers, um, people constantly are having shared decision-making visits about um, high blood pressure treatment or diabetes management. Um, So this is something that PCPs very frequently do as part of their office visits with patients. It's a little more cumbersome for lung cancer screening because Medicare Care tied the shared decision-making visit to their reimbursement, and no other form of cancer screening has ever had a mandate as rigid as that. That made it very unappealing for a lot of primary care providers to do because not only did they have to talk about lung cancer screening, they had to document, I think, 14 items um, to Proved to Medicare that they talked about the lung cancer screening there and then Medicare would reimburse for the office visit and the CT. So it was really hard to do in a very short primary care visit. So this slide does contain all of the points that people need to cover in their shared decision making visit. And there's been some ways that we have worked to make this easier for providers, and some of that is just harnessing your EMR um, to build templates that you can make dot phrases or shortcuts to drop this um, kind of wording into your clinic notes. So this is just an example of the dot phrase that I use for my clinic visits when I do shared decision-making visit. Um, It contains all of the required elements from Medicare. Um, And it really just takes me a couple of seconds to to put that in there as proof that I've had a a thorough conversation with the patient. One thing we're looking forward to is Medicare may um, simplify this for us in their new guidelines coming out next month in that um, we're still going to be required to have a conversation about lung cancer screening, but they may not make it so cumbersome for providers because that's been a real barrier to care.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I also wanted to just take a quick second to comment on the fact that a huge part of the lung cancer screening program at UVA has been our cessation program. And Amy is constantly referring folks um, through that shared decision making conversation to our cessation program where we have certified um, tobacco cessation specialists that um, that handle those referrals directly and work with the patients. So let's talk a little bit, Amy, about how you got here. I know it's not been an easy road uh, for, the, for the past few years building this program at UVA, but tell us about, you know, like what inspired you, what drives you to do this every day? Sure. So um, the whole g- concept of lung cancer screening,
1: um, it just seems like such a no brainer. We know that we have high risk patients with significant smoking history. Um, the majority of patients I meet started smoking as teenagers if not earlier it was a different time and we thought very differently about smoking and the tobacco companies have made it very attractive and very available and very addictive so um, it almost is a no-brainer why wouldn't we do lung cancer screening so it is kind of the build it and they will come principle let's get a program up and running let's offer lung cancer screening and let's screen the masses um we know that um there are at least 8 million people in the United States who qualified under the old guidelines, under the new USPSTF guidelines, that number's doubled. So 12 to 16 million people right now are eligible for lung cancer screening. If we screen half of them, this is an old data, we would prevent 12,000 deaths every year. So really it's like 24,000 deaths every year. But unfortunately, we built the lung cancer screening programs around the country, but patients didn't come. I <laughs> mean, there's a lot of factors related to that. So nationally, we're really only doing about four to five to six percent screening of eligible patients. The data shows between 2010 and 2015, and that's looking at the years before lung cancer screening was covered by insurance up to when it became widely available and covered by insurance, there was only a 0.6% increase in the use of low dose CT for screening over those years, which is dismal. And so I think there are a lot of factors that play into that.
0: So why are the numbers, the screening numbers so low, Amy?
1: Yeah. So I think um, even though we're almost 10 or 11 years into lung cancer screening, there's still a real lack of knowledge around it. The majority of patients I see for lung cancer screening, I ask every one of them, how did you hear about it? And most of them are like, I didn't know anything about it. My PCP told me about it at my wellness visit. So I think nationally, it's been challenging to get the word out around lung cancer screening to both patients and also providers. There's still a lot of PCPs and a lot of specialists who really aren't familiar with lung cancer screening. So what we done here at UVA is really work um, to educate our providers and educate our our patients. Unfortunately, lung cancer screening is not a priority for a lot of providers. Um, It's a competing element in a very short office visit where they're dealing with hypertension and diabetes and all of their other patients' medical problems. So now adding on one more thing to that already full plate um, has been really hard for a lot of providers to incorporate into their practice. Plus, it's made incredibly hard by the insurance companies who have so many rigid things that you need to do to get it covered and reimbursed. So it's not been a priority. And there's also a lot of stigma around lung cancer screening. Um, Patients feel very guilty about smoking. Um, I have them tell me every week that they know they should quit smoking, but they just can't, or they're afraid to know what their CT scan is going to show them. We don't see that same stigma around breast cancer screening or colon cancer screening, but there is a stigma associated with lung cancer screening that we need to work on nationally.
0: So let's just real quick share with our audience a little bit about some of the ways that um, you and I have both seen other successful lung cancer screening programs get the word out and tackle some of these um, low numbers and barriers and some of the things that we've done at UVA.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of ways to really um, reach our patient population. And pre-COVID, we did a lot of work around health fairs and community events. I think that this demographic that's eligible for lung cancer screening are still people that read their newspaper that gets delivered to their mailbox. Um, They certainly are people who are reading magazines and magazine articles. Um, Other things that I think are really helpful and that uh, a lot of places have done is things like billboards, um, bus stop wraps. Um, We here at UVA do a lot of TV and radio spots. Um, around lung cancer screening. We have brochures that are available for primary care offices. We have um, little information cards that PCPs can carry around in their coat pocket. Um, We've worked on videos, but I think one of the biggest things is kind of word of mouth from people that have been screened and then they talk to their husband about it or they talk to their brother or sister about lung cancer screening. So I definitely have had uh, multiple family members come in and get lung cancer screening. I think a really thing that we haven't really tapped into is using social media. A lot of people think that um, people of this demographic aren't big social media users, but that's not true. Over 74% of people over the age of 55 use and own a smartphone all the time. So um, harnessing social media like through this platform is a perfect way to do that. Other things that we've done here at UVA is um, we've spent a lot of time going around and visiting our primary care offices and talking to providers about lung cancer screening, um, putting together just quick informational packets that they can have at their fingertips. We've done grand round talks. We have um, harnessed our EMR to search for eligible people um, that are coming in that may be eligible. And, And opportunities like this to get out and talk to other people has really been something that we've been focusing on here at UVA.
0: So um, as we close out um, our presentation today, I just wanted to share, have you share a little bit about some of your successes with the UVA lung cancer screening program um, and talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the lives that you've changed along the way. Yeah, so our program has really grown a lot um, since it
1: first started in 2014 and
0: 2015
1: when we were just, just learning how to do this. And this was a very new concept um, in the United States and at UVA, but you can see that our numbers have grown and grown and grown despite COVID. We've done over 4,300 scans to date. Um, and we are looking at referrals from all around the state um, and referrals continue to grow. And then on this slide, um, I think it really goes to show that we are detecting lung cancers. To date, we found 62 lung cancers in our patients with a 1.8% detection rate, which is um, pretty comparable nationally. But you'll see on this slide that we're finding them in the early stage. The majority of our lung cancers are in stage one when those are highly treatable with surgery or SBRT. And while we do find some late stage, the majority are really early on. And the other important thing to notice Two on this slide is that we're also finding incidental cancers, we have found breast cancers, renal cancers, we found pancreatic cancers, all incidental on these lung cancer screening scans. So not only are we saving people from dying of lung cancer, but we're also able to intervene on other malignancies too.
0: Well, again, thanks to Less Cancer for inviting us to um, share what we're doing at UVA and how we're working um, to uh, get the word out about lung cancer screening. And so much, so many thanks to uh, Amy Strong for being here today and for all of her great work over the past uh, five years um, at UVA growing this program.